Welcome to The Corner, La Source's digital show dedicated to the sport and entertainment industry. Every two weeks, we invite a professional to share their experience, background, and challenges. The sport industry moves fast, and having their insights is the best way to keep up to speed. Welcome to The Corner. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of The Corner International. Today, we're very happy to welcome on our podcast, Tim Clark. Hi, Tim. How are you? I'm good, Sam. How about you? Very good. Very good. Can't complain. Happy to be joined by JB, too. Hey, JB. Hi, guys. How are you guys doing? Hey, JB. Can't complain. Can't complain. Um, look, great to have you here, Tim. Um, for those, uh, for our European listeners who might not know what NASCAR is, because it's uh, a very American sport. Uh, no, all jokes aside, uh, Tim Clark is joining us from NASCAR. Um, very happy to have you have you here. Um, and we'd just love for you to introduce yourself to our community so they understand a little bit better who you are, what's your background, and uh, and get things going. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's great to be with you guys. So uh, I um, uh, have been with NASCAR for wow the better part of, of 10 years, and and I guess my my day job is uh, is to oversee our digital business. Um, and I say my day job because I've accumulated a bunch of part time uh, after hour jobs uh, over the last couple of years. So uh, esports and sports betting and and content and and, and original productions uh, as well as our consumer data strategy and, um, you know, looking to, for, for ways that we can innovate, um, you know, whether that be through content or experiences or, or, or whatnot. I mean, you, you mentioned European fans, uh, our motorsports fans domestically won't let me go five minutes without referencing the, the F1 show on Netflix. So, um, <laughs> we're, we're just, uh, we're just trying to do our best to, to compete over here. Very nice, very nice. And what what's funny with your background? So basically, you're telling us that first of all, you're telling us that NASCAR works like a startup. It feels like very familiar to do 15 jobs at the same time. It, it, it I mean, it's 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 interesting, Sam. Honestly, that's the reason that that a I took the job in the first place here, and b the reason that that I, I think I've been here a while is is exactly that that it's. You know, it's an established brand. It's an established company that's got a, a obviously a very long history. But um, you know, from an innovation standpoint, I, I think we, we try to reinvent that fan experience on a fairly regular basis. So I think that kind of entrepreneurial um, portion of of my job is is really what 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 keeps me going. Interesting, and uh, and so what made you come to the sports industry? Because you were originally in the retail industry, so. That there's quite a big gap between retail and NASCAR. So, how do you come about it? Did, did you plan at all times to start working in sports? It's, you know, it's interesting. I think um, had I known that there were opportunities to work in sports, I would have always worked in sports. But I think for for a you know a decent chunk of my career, um, you know, the the sports industry and and you guys know this. It's it's different than it used to be. I mean the the jobs that used to exist in sports, um, you know, are, are much more, there, there are a whole lot more of them than there were, you know, in kind of the early days as digital was, was first, um, you know, becoming a thing, right. It was, it, there were a lot of jobs on the agency side. There were a lot of jobs on the brand and retail side, you know, e-commerce was, was really where I got my start in digital. 
Um, and I eventually went to work for Michael Rubin's company, Pre-Fanatics, which was called GSI. Um, and mm-hmm. that, that business was, was focused on, on digital and marketing and e-commerce for, for all of the, the domestic sports leagues. Uh, and so of, of my clients, NASCAR was one of them. Um, and, and that, I mean, that job was incredible. I mean, to, to be able to work with, with all of the leagues across NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, uh, and NASCAR was, was an incredible opportunity and ultimately what, what led to, to the job I have today. So that's how you made the switch, right? You were working as a client for them, uh, managing the, uh, was it more the e-commerce platform at the time or what, what was it mainly that you were dealing with? Yeah, it was it was specifically performance marketing and and what you know that that I guess means in in more um, you know widely used terms is anything that drove an ROI. So <laughs> as opposed to kind of brand awareness or or um, you know big um, big marketing swings that that are you know just designed to to be visible, uh, the the channels that I worked on and and that business were ones designed to to drive a, a return a return on investment. So you know, think paid search or comparison shopping engines or, you know, anything that that would lead to someone buying a, a product from the from the GSI or ultimately the Fanatics business um, was was a big part of my role. Interesting. And so actually, did you manage to take get a lot of takeaways from your previous job going into NASCAR and being able to transpose what was, you know, like all the shopping behaviors from a retail company moving into the sports industry? Because I mean, every time you talk about digital, is what's the ROI against it, right? Or how do you make me save money? So, how much were you able to transpose? Yeah, it, it, Sam, it was. I mean, it was a dream come true. Like it was a dream job, I, and I mean that honestly because I had been, you know, I I had gotten in digital and e-commerce in you know the fairly early days, and you know all of that was was designed, especially in in retail, uh, around putting you know, putting investment where it's going to lead to a conversion and lead to a sale. So, you know, I was very familiar with that world and felt felt very comfortable in that environment and and working with digital channels that were going to drive conversion and drive revenue. And then being asked to translate that into sports, which I've loved, you know, for, for my yeah. entire life, it, you know, yeah, where do I sign up? When can I start? <laughs> but but it, it seems to me that what you said right at the beginning was, the portfolio at NASCAR was a bit bigger in terms of digital. It's like, it feels like it's way, way broader from what you used to do before. For sure. And, and I think, you know, my, um, my job, the first job I had at NASCAR, the job I was hired at was director of optimization. And what that meant <laughs> was it, it was, it was, and again, that was part of the draw was that it was purposely vague, right? We were launching the digital business. So NASCAR had, had brought uh, digital rights back in house from Turner, uh, and and you know was was going to build their digital business from scratch, and you know the job that I was asked to do was basically be the person that could, you know, mind the store so to speak from end to end of, you know, how are the developers connecting to the front end, and and how's the mobile app connecting to the core web experience, and what's the live experience like on on race days versus what the you know Monday through Friday experience looks like. Um, which, which again, very much appealed to me of, you know, how do you take this, um, you know, this notion of digital and, and fan engagement, but, but make it a bit broader, um, across, you know, the, the digital space, which, 
which was at the time and continues to be today one that's ever changing and and evolving mm-hmm. at a at a pretty rapid pace. Interesting. Uh, we'll get back to that user journey piece because one of the big elements that all the leagues are trying to tackle is how to not only have their users connect on the weekend on game day, but how do they tell the longer narrative? But maybe taking one step back. Can you explain a little bit how NASCAR competition is organized, how many races, how many pilots, so, so that everybody on this podcast understands it? Sure. Yeah, so there are 36-point races uh, throughout the course of the season. Um, and the season starts, you know, obviously with with our, our version of the Super Bowl, the Daytona 500, which is in, in February. Uh, and then we'll conclude in, in early November this year with our championship race in Phoenix. So uh, 36-point races the last 10 of which are playoff races. Um, so we'll start the season with, you know, anywhere from 36 to 38 to 40 drivers. Uh, and throughout the season, they're attempting to qualify for uh, for playoff spots. So there are 16 drivers that qualify for the playoffs. Uh, and then through that 10-week playoff, the, there are uh, el- elimination rounds so that when you get to the last race of the season, you've you've essentially got four drivers that are competing for the championship. And uh, last race of the season, the championship race in Phoenix, of those four drivers, the the one that that finishes in the highest position is is crowned the champion. Um, you know, I, you guys are familiar with motorsports. It's it's you know the the format of playoffs is familiar to fans of of kind of the stick and ball sports. Uh, but what is a little bit different is it's, you know, you're, you're down to four drivers that are competing for the championship, but the other drivers are still out there and competing in the race. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a, um, a little bit different in that regard where you've got all of the competitors that will race throughout the entirety of the season. You're, you're just kind of winnowing down that, uh, that playoff field, if you will. I was actually going to ask about that because I never had in mind a race with only four cars and that's <laughs> a completely different sport, whether there are four, four cars or 16, right? right. Uh, nice. And, and, so, and so that's interesting. And the, the, the mix and match is actually really interesting to understand the model that you guys came up with. Um, and just overall, how, you know, obviously in the U.S. there are the four big competitions, right? That would be the NFL, the Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL. We had a great talk with Chris Schlosser from the MLS of what was their positioning and how they compared uh, with the rest of the of the big four. What is the, the positioning of NASCAR? How do you live uh, alongside those big competitions? It's obviously a much more different sport than, this, than soccer would be to all those other ones. Um, but we'd love to understand a little bit what's your angle uh, to capture huge communities and stay relevant to all the younger and older audiences? Yeah, it, it's a great question. There's a, there's a couple of things that I would say. One, you know, I, I think the, um, I, I guess the league structure in the U.S., um, I, I, I suppose in, in some ways, maybe many ways, we're, we're uh, quote unquote competitors to one another. But we all have a really good relationship. I, I've known Chris Schlosser for years and, and we, you know, we talk fairly regularly. Um, and I think that's the case with, with other league counterparts. Um, so I think, you know, there's, there's some, uh, you know, some degree of, of competitiveness, but I also think that, that sports fans are sports fans. And I think it's rare that, that sports fans pick one sport to follow and, and that's it. Right. I, I think there, there generally a, a lot of crossover. There may be one that they prefer or one that's their favorite, but, 
Uh, typically, what what we found through our research is is that there are sports fans in the U.S. that are following multiple leagues. So, you know, our our audience is is incredibly loyal and incredibly passionate. Uh, I think the balance that that we spend a lot of time focusing on is, you know, you've got this loyal generational fan base that that is will stick with you through thick and thin. And I think we feel like we have a responsibility to manage the sport in such a way that that you are are still delivering on the things that are expected by that loyal fan base that's been with you from day one, while also making some some changes periodically to to freshen things up for for new fans because you've you've you can't you can't pick one over the other right you you don't want all yeah. more fans but you also don't want all new fans you you gotta. You got to figure out where the balance is, and and I think we spend probably more time than than most things uh, on that topic in particular. And from your research, it seemed like sorry, uh, Sam. I'm just tapping in because I'm I'm just interested on that. Is what's the hook? I mean, what is? I can see clearly the loyal fan, but you know we all love different sports, and I think you're right. But what makes like a non-loyal NASCA fan coming to your Uh, different platforms or to your shows or what, what's the evidence from your research on that? Yeah, I think there's, there's probably two things. One is the, the live experience of a NASCAR race um, mm. is I, I think in our opinion, and, and I think our, our research will show this it's, it is unlike any other sporting event that, that you, you will experience. I mean, the, the power and the, the size and the sounds and the smells So if, if we can get uh, a fan to experience a race in person, you know, we, we feel really, really strongly about our ability to retain them as, as a fan. I think the other thing that is, is kind of leading to that curiosity for a new fan is star power. And I, don't, I think that's probably the same for, for other sports as well, right? I mean, you, you've got to have personalities that, um, that people are interested in and, and want to be around and want to follow and, and want to learn more about. So, You know, I think as as uh, as compelling as um, you know a, a race and and race cars and engines and all of the things that come with motorsports are. Uh, I, I also think you know being curious about you know wanting to know more about Bubba Wallace or Denny Hamlin or Chase Elliott. I, I mean that that's really what what's going to to move the sport forward. Certainly in a way that that's going to make people curious of. You know who these guys are, and 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 what the competition looks like that they're involved in. Mm. And out of curiosity, what's the reach of a of a top athlete? Uh, you know, competing in, at NASCAR, like right. you know, like in Europe right now, there's obviously Messi coming to PSG and completely changing the scope of things when it comes to sponsors, fandom, adding 20 million followers to the to the social media accounts, etc. What's what's the scale of uh, of reach of a of a typical NASCAR of a top NASCAR athlete? Yeah, so it's a it's a it's probably a more complex answer that that than I could articulate. And and I don't I don't I, I guess what I mean by that is, you know, the size and scale of a you know a Messi uh, shutting down the city of Paris, right? Is is just <laughs> is different, right? So you know, I think. Um, I think it's it's not it's not that obviously, but what what it what it is is look. I mean, there are 70 million ish NASCAR fans in the in the U.S. Um, so I think the the way that that you're able to interact with with your driver on a one to one basis, uh, I, I think is 
is critical to our success. And then not only the fan engagement, but, you know, as, as you, as you know, if you've ever seen one of our races, um, it, it's very sponsor and partner centric. Um, so the, the notion of that scale and that interaction happening for the, for the partners and the sponsors is, is equally important. Um, mm-hmm. and I think we, where the, where those two intersect is, you know, you, you, you've got this fan base that, that understands that these partners are, are allowing their favorite driver to race. So, you know, it, it's, it's really not comparable to, you know, call it an NBA where there may be a Jersey sponsor and, and that, that sponsor is, is obviously very supportive of that team and that organization. And, you know, I think, I think fans recognize that, but, you know, when, when fans see Denny Hamlin with a, a FedEx logo on his fire suit and on the side of his race car, they understand that the investment that's coming from FedEx is, is allowing him to race. So, you know, I, I think in terms of the reach, you've got, you know, it's, it's interesting to see what happens from, you know, the broader sport of NASCAR down to an individual driver level and, and then what, mm-hmm. what their social media channels allow them to do. And just on that, do you have like, because I fully see the, the picture you've just given, but in terms of demographics, do you have like a, the age, you know, everybody's talking about <clears throat> in engaging the, new, the younger fans, the Gen Z and all of this. You mentioned the NBA. I know the MLS is, I mean, is one of the four leagues who have the bright future, let's say, where, whereas maybe an MLB is not the same and NFL as well. So I was just wondering, like, is that something you're looking at as well in terms of how you speak to that audience or how you try to bring, maybe they are loyal because it's also something maybe with the family that you're watching. I mean, I, I really see it like this with the father and, and the son uh, on the NASCAR and the live experience. But for the non-loyal fan, I was wondering if if that's also a target and that you're trying to activate around that. Yeah, it, it's a Fantastic question, JB, and I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. So, you know, I, I think the um, look the the average NASCAR fan is is older, right? Um, mm-hmm. Now, I think in in many ways, I think we've been conditioned to think that that's a, a negative. Um, but but here's the I guess the juxtaposition that you know, sixty two year old fan looks awful on a piece of paper. And the 19-year-old looks great on a piece of paper. But when you need them to invest in something or buy something or subscribe to something, it, it's it's not always as much fun as it as it seems to, to do that with the 19-year-old, right? So and I'm not suggesting that 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 we would pick one versus the other, but back to what we talked about a few minutes ago, I think the scale is important and the and the balance is important. And to your question, JB, I think it's you know a uh, when we put, um, you know, classic races on our Facebook channel, they perform exceptionally well. And the average, you know, the average uh, fan of our Facebook page is is a little bit older. Now, when we take a, you know, kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek 101 video and put it on TikTok before we go to Talladega or Daytona, those numbers go through the roof and and the the average viewer of those videos is, is significantly younger. So... I think to your exact point, that's the balance for us is is to make sure that we're providing the right content, the right experience to the right fan on the right platform at the right time. And that that doesn't mean it's a 
you know, you're, there's, there's really a finish line to that. That is a, you know, day by day, hour by hour, week by week endeavor of, of trying to, to get that recipe right. Uh, because it's not just as simple as saying, all right, well, this content's going to go here and we're going to reach the young fans and this content's going to go here and we're going to reach the the older diehard fans and we're all set. I mean, that, that evolves, uh, as, as you guys know, uh, yeah. really rapidly, but, but I think that's, mm-hmm. that's part of the fun. It's part of the challenge to find that the right mix of all of those tools. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's about so much more than the platform. It's about the content you put on which platform to attract which typology. So there, there is indeed so much to it. Um, getting back to the, to the, to the R and D piece, which is something that I know is close to you and, you know, obviously innovation and new technologies are essential for your competition, right? Because uh, from one year to the other, the cars have to get better faster to be able to compete and challenge against each other. Um, but I guess from a league perspective, your innovations are a bit different, right? The, the teams must be focusing on the technical improvements. You must be uh, you, you must be working on the format improvements and differences. What are the types of innovation that you have seen very impactful in the recent years that you are proud of as the governing body uh, of NASCAR? Yeah, so a couple have come to mind. One is is um, you know the 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 evolution of stages. And stages was was just as opposed to saying, you know, this is going to be a 400 lap race and we're going to start at lap one and we're going to end at lap 400 and, uh, you know, whatever happens in between. So be it. Um, stages was was an attempt to, to do two things. One, to make it more familiar for uh, for new fans. You know, if you watch a football game, if you watch a, a soccer match, if you watch you know, an NBA game, uh, they're, they're divided into segments and it, it may be halves, it may be quarters, you know, in the case of baseball, it may be innings, but, but there are kind of bite-sized, um, segments of that, of that game with a race. It, it was just, you know, <laughs> again, it's just a lot of, a lot of laps. Um, and, and the, the evolution of stages, while it may not sound you know, like a big deal, it is a, it, it's, it's done a couple of things. One, if you're a new viewer and you tune in and it, it, it says at the bottom of the screen, you know, lap three of 400, you know, there, there's gotta be a mental part of, all right, I'm going to turn this off and maybe I'll turn it on, you know, a, yep. you know, closer to the end. But if that same, at that same point of the race, if it says lap three of, you know, 40, you're, you're probably more inclined to stick around and watch that. And, and, and ideally, you know, watching the first stage then, you know, compels you to watch the second stage and, and so on and so forth. So I think little nuance things like that have, have been really effective. And then, you know, there's, there's two that, that, uh, that we'll see going into next season that I think we're, we're really excited about. One is a brand new race car, literally from every piece, every part, uh, there's a brand new race car, um, that will roll out next year for the first time. We've been, we've been testing it, uh, uh, since last year, quite frankly, it was, it was originally supposed to debut this year. Um, and then obviously like, uh, like a lot of things, uh, COVID had, had other, other plans. So we'll roll that out in 2022, but it is a brand new car, uh, from, from the, the bottom up that, that each of the teams will, uh, will, will now be, um, you know, working off of and, and trying to compete with one another and, and trying to be faster than the, than the other team. The other one is, um, a, again, not, you know, not technically, uh, a, a big innovation, but 
we're going to run a race at the LA Coliseum. We just announced that. And, and the notion of, of putting stock cars, you know, inside of the LA Coliseum, which has hosted Olympics and Super Bowls and, and football games and baseball games, uh, but, but certainly never a stock car race. Uh, I, I think the, the, the visuals of that are going to be incredible. And, and as will the, the notion of taking our sport into a market that we have traditionally not, uh, not had a presence. And, you know, it's, it's one of our top two media markets, uh, LA, and, and we've got a race in Fontana, which is, you know, a little ways outside of the city. But, but again, I, I think we are, are cognizant of the fact that, that we, we are not in a position, nor do I quite frankly, believe any sports league is to sit back and hope the fans come to them. We've got to go to the fans every chance that we get. We raced in Austin, Texas last year. Uh, we'll race in, in Los Angeles next year. Uh, and I think you'll continue to see things like that from us where, you know, we, we not we not only want to evolve on the technical side and the competition side, but things as simple as the race format and the schedule are, are equally as important. Mm-hmm. That's a funny one, not a funny one, but a very interesting one because, um, you know, from a startup perspective, we always think about technical improvements and technological improvement. But the two the two examples that you gave, and especially the one around the race format, uh, obviously had a huge impact. And how were you able to measure that? Because obviously, you know, beyond the fun and beyond the perceived value. How did you actually see it have an impact on your community? Were you able to measure that extensively? Yeah. So I think there's a couple of things. First of all, the, the, the social media engagement through the entirety of the race, as opposed to those big spikes at the beginning and the big spikes at the end, that, that curve kind of flattened, right? Yeah. Um, so, so we were able to see the engagement um, on, on, you know, second screen or social media. And similarly with the broadcast, you know, our, our ratings uh, over the last few years have been, have been solid, right? I mean, TV numbers are, are not a perfect science. And, and I think everyone is, is trying to figure out measurement of, of, you know, households and share and, and rating points and all of those sorts of things in a world where fewer and fewer and fewer people are, are actually just watching traditional television. So, you know, I think the fact that our ratings have, have been in a, in a really strong spot over the last couple of years, uh, including, you know, looking at quarter hours as, as you're, uh, as you're introducing those stage races, I think we, we feel, we feel we're on the right track. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> Super interesting. Um, Nice. And, and in general, is it, is there some kind of innovation that you share with the, with the other big motorsports or that, you know, like you get inspired from, or you feel they get inspired from mm-hmm. is there like a, an overall approach of motor motorsports leagues, or is it something where you really work in, in silos because different continents, different interests, and not really something that is happening right now? Yeah. So I, I think there's, there's a, there's much more collaboration and coordination now than, than there was even a few years ago. Um, and, and a couple of examples, um, you know, NASCAR, uh, acquired, uh, another stock car racing series, uh, called ARCA, uh, a few years ago. And now, you know, we have the ability to coordinate with them and, and, um, and work with them on a number of levels, not only are the competition groups working together, but, You know, we move their website onto our platform and, and we're able to take some of the technology that we've used on our races 
um, to, to power their, their apps and, and websites. Same for IMSA, um, you know, sport car racing has, has, uh, has had a, 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 a pretty impressive growth boon over the last few years. Um, and, and we've been able to work very closely with the folks at IMSA. And then more recently with, uh, with someone like F1, uh, we did a, a, a Rocket League partnership earlier this season that that we rolled out uh, jointly on Rocket League with with F1 and, and NASCAR. Um, and I think it was unusual for for people to to kind of see, you know, yeah. F1 and NASCAR yeah. interacting with one another, uh, you know, in, in kind of the virtual world and the digital and social world. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I back to what we were talking about with the other sports leagues. Yeah, I think there's always this inherent uh, degree of competition where everyone wants more fans and wants more attention and more exposure. Uh, but, but I also think there's, there's recognition that if, if you, uh, are a motorsport enthusiast that, that there's enough to go around. I I think everyone that we've dealt with, whether it be formula one, whether it be IndyCar, whether it be IMSA, ARCA, you know, NHRA and, and the like, Everyone fundamentally agrees that that the success of each of those individually is is better uh, for, for the collective, right? Yeah, yeah, and th- there are a lot of new formats of motorsports that are coming up, right? When you think about the ESC or even the the renewal that there is around the um, what is it called World Air Race, uh, th- there are a lot of motorsports that are actually gathering a lot of interest and that are becoming much more popular than. Uh, you know, one of the previous conversations we were having were about certain sports di- disappearing from the Olympics uh, in 2024. Um, new audiences are looking for new types of formats of competitions. And uh, and yeah, just the, 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 the expectations of the younger generations are obviously changing. Well, and we, I mean, we pay attention. One that I didn't mention was we pay a lot of attention to, to Formula E uh, mm-hmm. because I think the notion of, of electric or, or hybrid racing you know, there is, there is a big future in that. And, and I think it's one that, that has been on our radar for some time. And, and I think the, the conversations, um, internally in that regard have, have certainly increased, uh, over the past few years, but, you know, to your point, it's, it's, it's maybe not just the, 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 the combustion engine version of motorsports. I mean, you've got drone racing league, you've got formula yeah. E, I mean, yeah. you've got, the, the notion of, of, uh, of fans enjoying the competition of racing is, is going to take on multiple forms. And, and, you know, the more we can, uh, explore those, those types of scenarios, the, the better for our long-term health. Yep. I mean, that's on formula. Yeah. I was wondering whether you, you have an R and D department really looking at these questions because I guess, and that's something, I guess, also that's on your radar around environmental issues and all the CSR aspect of things. Do, do you have some kind of an R&D or do you work with universities in terms of innovations to actually push the boundaries on, on the electric side of things? Or, or do you work closely maybe with, with Formula E themselves or how does that work? Yeah. I, so the, the answer to, to your question, JB, is yes. So, so we've got a, a, a group within, um, within competition and, and R&D and innovation that is, is, you know, actively exploring those things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think we, we recognize, and I think what, 
what what makes people nervous when they hear that specifically the kind of the the core fans or the hardcore fans is i think they they think that that means there's just going to be a switch one day where you know we'll take what what you're seeing today on track and then they'll show up the next day and it's it's going to be um you know electric racing i i don't think that's the case i i think what what I think our responsibility is, is to your point from a, from a research and development standpoint is to explore those types of, of, of opportunities and, and explore mm-hmm. what other series are, are, are doing, what other motorsports are doing so that we could start to, you know, explore running series like that or races like that. And then over time, you know, figure out what that right balance is. I don't, I don't think anyone believes that it's, it's a, it's an either or, right. That you have to pick the way we do it now, or you, you have to pick electrification. I think it's more evaluating all of the different things that we could do in the motorsport space and, um, and, and getting to that right mix. I mean, there's, there's so many reasons of, um, you know, the, whether it be environmental issues, whether it be things that are more familiar to, to younger audiences or younger fans, there's, there's so many things to consider when 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 kind of putting together what a competition series in 10 years or five years is, is going to look like. Yes, it does feel like those are able to cohabit. And but just in general, for the moment, the traditional motorsports such as yours and Formula One are still way ahead. And it's maybe also because of the maturity of the businesses, um, although, you know, and coming back to Europe, uh, there was a small decline of Formula One. Uh, but there is definitely a renewed interest right now in MotoGP and Formula One. And we know that a lot of it was because what you mentioned earlier, because a Netflix was capable of putting in place with Formula One a great series that attracted the newer audiences and gave, gave a whole other angle to it that got the wives of a of motorsports fan to also start looking into it and enjoying the competition in some way. Do you have plans of doing that uh, with NASCAR in terms of you know bringing the brand over? I know that... I'm half American, but lived all my life in France. I started being interested in, uh, in the NFL because of all or nothing, right? So the, the, the impact of those right. types of series are super important and very different than your uh, traditional day-to-day. Is that something that you're looking at to expand the brand uh, worldwide? It, it is. And, and, you know, I think there, there are some examples of, of that, um, you know, already we've, we've got a, a series that we sanction in Europe. Um, we've got a, a series that we sanction in Mexico that is incredibly popular. It, I think it, it, in many ways flies under the radar, but, um, you know, we, we've been really pleased with, uh, with the, the, the traction that we've gotten in, in Mexico. Um, you know, we've, we've run races traditionally in Canada, again, back to the, the, the dirty word of COVID that is, is, um, you know, been a, a bit of a challenge this year, certainly. Um, but, but the, the simple answer to your question, Sam is yes. I mean, I think we, we realize that, Um, you know, there are some, you know, um, some, some issues and, and some, some difficulty in, in taking our cars, you know, it's, it's a whole lot easier to put a, an NFL roster on an airplane and fly them overseas and, and find a football field to compete on. Right. Yeah. Than, it, than it is to do that with, with NASCAR race cars and, and engineers and drivers. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit difficult, but You know, obviously, Formula One is is able to you know travel the world and and has had a lot of success in doing that. Um, I, I think we we have a lot of similar conversations of. You know, I think I think NASCAR will will be at its core a, a U.S. based league, but our expansion internationally is is a big part of our future. And um, I, I think 
you know, again, COVID is, is not, is not an excuse, but, but, you know, it's the protocols mm-hmm. that have been put in place by all of us, not just NASCAR, right. But, but all, all of us are dealing with similar challenges. Um, I, I think that's, that's, um, that's created an additional barrier that, that obviously we weren't anticipating. Um, but, but our international expansion over the next three to five years, I think is, uh, is, is going to be, is going to be pretty special. Um, Tim, out of the blue question is, you, you mentioned expansion. Do you tr- will you try to, to go into the city center or is that, is that something, you know, Formula E is really on the rise also because, you know, you are in iconic cities, you are in the city center, you're close to many people. You don't have to take your car to go to, to, to a racetrack or, or to, to do like one hour or something like that. I think. That's that's an amazing value proposition today. Is that something NASCAR has in mind, or is it more like first to stay close to your values and to the sports itself, and then you will see how it expands? But or, or is that is that something out of your radar for the moment? No, it's it's a it's a really good question, and you know we talked a little bit about the LA Coliseum, and and that is a mm-hmm. big, you know, that's a big part of this, right? Is is to see what <clears throat> what are the challenges. And what are the challenges we know and what are the challenges that we're going to learn along the way um, with with doing an event like that? Right. The, the noise is is going to be the first one. Right. The the it, yeah. being at a NASCAR event and being at a NASCAR track, the noise is is really cool. Um, doing that in the city center may not be as cool as I think it is to the <laughs> residents. Um, but, you know, I, I think. I think the LA Coliseum will be a big learning experience. We we played around with a track um, last year on iRacing, actually, that was a road course through through downtown Chicago, and and doing that virtually was because we you know would love to do things like that in real life, but we, we just want to do them smartly um, because there's there's obviously a, a lot that that goes into that. But I, I think I think all of us. Um, you know, if you're looking at the the schedule over the the next few years, I, I think would would hope that we can we can go to metropolitan areas and and figure out a way to run a race that, to your point, is is similar to what F1 is able to do. That's that's kind of in the heart of the city, as opposed to uh, you know an, enough distance that uh, that we don't get uh, noise ordinances. And so now, jumping potentially to the last topic that we wanna that we wanna raise with you on the podcast. We want to raise a lot beyond it, but as, as far as the digital engagement um, is concerned, is your audience more and more digital or are most of your consumers still massively on linear platforms? Yeah, look, our, our, our TV audience is, is substantial, right? I mean, it, it is a big, it is a big audience. And I, and I think, um, you know, I, I have thought about this and I've wrestled with this topic, honestly, since I started at NASCAR, because I spent a lot of time wringing my hands over the fact that, that we weren't a kind of a quote unquote highlight sport. Right. So, so take the NBA, for example, um, there may be a terrible game in the NBA and the entirety of that game may be awful. And, and one team may lose by 30, but during the course of that game, you know, LeBron is going to have, half a dozen highlights. Steph Curry's going to have some highlights. Kevin Durant's going to have highlights. And, you know, I, I, I think I certainly spent a lot of time thinking, man, how do we compete with that? And I think the, the realization was we're not. 
but that's okay. That's not who we have to be. We don't have to be a highlight driven sport. I think what, what our fans have proven is that they're willing to make that investment over time, you know, to, to really, uh, understand the storylines and understand the nuances of the sport and understand, you know, uh, uh, one strategy from one group of drivers versus the strategy over the other group of drivers that's going to play out over the course of a hundred or 150 laps. So I, I think when you look at our audience, they're, you know, they're, they're certainly the, the vast majority are, you know, in the stands or, uh, or on linear television uh, but I, I also think that what we see during the week is really, really strong engagement on our social platforms because, A, you know, you, you've got the group that that isn't able to attend the race or is watching, but also want to immerse themselves in as much information as they can. So it's not just watching the broadcast. It's also the broadcast with, you know, the, the mobile app in hand so that they can follow you know, tire fall off or pitch strategies or pit cycles or, or whatever the case may be. And then during the week, social media engagement has continued to climb for us the last few years. So I, I guess that it's a long winded answer to your question, Sam. But I, I, I think I, I think it's it's a something that a few years ago, if you had asked me that question, I would have gotten defensive and thought, oh, well, well it's it, it, you know, it's it's tough work for us to not operate like the other sports do. But now I look at it as very much a positive and very much a differentiator of, of how sticky our audience is and, and how much more invested they are than than just being, you know, satiated by, a you know, an eight second clip on Instagram the next day. Yeah. And actually, maybe one thing that's closer to you or at least uh, interesting is how do you do the arbitrage between the content that you put on social media where a large amount of your community is and the content you put on your proprietary platform to gather more and more information on those users to, you know, have a better stickiness to your sport and at least be in more control than you might be on social media. That that's exactly right. And, and look, I mean, a lot of that is going to be driven by technology. So, um, you know, a recent example is, is some of our drivers were, um, were, were in the car with wearable fitness trackers. So, you know, during the broadcast, you're able to watch an event unfold, which great that, that, you know, watching that on broadcast is great. We, we can put that clip on our social channels. Great. But then almost like that third dimension becomes showing that same incident with driver heart rate as they're going through it, where one is able to maintain a more even heart rate, where another one is spiking <laughs> as they're driving through it. Right. And, and that becomes yet another thing to talk about. So to your point, it's, it's not only differentiating this moment versus this moment per platform, but it's this moment and how can you tell it three different ways on three different platforms? Interesting. And, and so out of curiosity, how, how do you allocate the resource to one or the other, right? Because it has to be a question of, do I want, like, I guess right. the language might be simplified on social media so that it reaches the volume and you get really that, that volume of audience. And then it's more for the, top tier fans that you have a better narrative, et cetera. But also there's a question of why would you put more money into the content that you put on your proprietary platform when the most value you are getting is from social media? You know what I mean? So how do you, yeah. how do you set that up? How do you make those decisions? Well, I think, I, I think it's a, it's a balance, but the other thing that, that kind of comes to mind is, you know, who, who you put in those positions, right? Because, if we're looking at our, our production group that that is requires a little bit more experience and requires a little bit more intimate knowledge of the sport, 
to produce that type of content. You know, then I look at, at you know, the, the group that, that we have on our social media team, which is just a phenomenal group of, of young professionals, which, by the way, were hired without any previous context in NASCAR. And that was done intentionally. Right. I mean, it, it, it does us no good to go get a bunch of people that live, eat, sleep, breathe NASCAR to try to tell the NASCAR story on social media platforms. I'd, yeah. I'd rather we communicate in a way that that is more familiar with those platforms and and the audiences that use those platforms. So I think the investment is not only in in the people, but I think it's putting the right people on the right platforms so that that dialogue is 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 done the right way. Interesting. And, and so that was part of the success of NASCAR also making their 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 younger audiences more and more engaged and keep them coming on the platform. I guess that's part of the overall strategy that you guys put in place is bringing those new youngsters that put new type of formats of content without too many guidelines. And that was successful in the, the recent strategy of uh, having a faithful younger generation, younger community. Uh, for sure. I, I have found that the more successful we're going to be on our social platforms is equal to the less involvement for me. So the, the more, the more I get out of the way and, and let, let those guys do their thing, the better off we're going to be. Um, you know, they, they don't need the, the middle-aged guy tapping on the shoulder, like, Hey, is this, are you sure this is the right format for Instagram live? Thinking you're understanding it, whereas you have no clue and don't have a TikTok account yourself. Yeah. It's starting to exactly. feel that way too. I'm in touch with my limitations for sure. Um, And so maybe to finish off this uh, the, the, this podcast, if we look further down the line, um, what can we hope for NASCAR in the next five years? Like, what are the topics that you are working on that where you would see a, want to see a major difference? And what can we wish you? And, and if I can jump into it, sorry, team, like yeah. we've not mentioned NFTs since the beginning of this podcast, which I'm quite happy with, to be honest, because <laughs> blockchain and NFTs is everywhere and everywhere or the metaverse. So, Tim, you don't have to mention them. I know your portfolio is getting bigger and bigger for the last 10 years and that you're doing everything during the day and during the night, but it might be something else. <laughs> no, it's it's uh, it's it's funny. Um, NFTs, I, I, the, uh, a colleague of, of mine, uh, we, we were talking uh, earlier this week. If you do uh, in your email inbox, just do a search for NFTs and see how many emails that you've gotten since you know, January of this year that, that have included that in the subject, it's, uh, that number is, is off the charts. But I, I mean, I do think that, you know, our, our notion of what the NASCAR future in the metaverse looks like, I, I am extraordinarily bullish on, I, I believe that, I, and I think it has to be done the right way, right? We can't just wildly jerk the wheel from one side to the other. And, and now we're doing all NFTs and blockchain and crypto and metaverse. Right. But I do think that that's where, where we're all headed. I, I think that the user experience can be done uh, in such a way that, that you're, you're creating this virtual environment of, of real life. And I, I think NASCAR can play a really important role there. So I, I do think that's a big part of it, but, but I also think, you know, we talked a lot about this, right. I think we have to continue to serve fans where they are. And that means not only in the virtual space or, or digital platforms or social media platforms, but also the physical spaces. I mean, JB, you asked the question about the, the city centers. It, it's such a big point for us. And I think that's why 
things like LA Coliseum or a Chicago street race are, are so exciting for us because that, you know, if you, you kind of connect the dots a little bit, right. We talked about how NASCAR fans become, you know, really, really avid fans and, and long tenured fans if they can experience a race in person. Well, mm-hmm. that new, that notion used to be, all right, well, how are we going to get them to come to Talladega and how are we going to get them to come to Charlotte and how are we going to get them to come to Martinsville? And, and, and that's still going to be part of our strategy, right? But then I think the new strategy is also going to be equal amount of all right, Let's pick up the show and take it where they are. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I think we're all really excited about that because, you know, the good thing is at the core of that is we're suggesting that we're happy with the product, right? It, it would be a much harder problem to solve if it were, yeah, we're not happy with the drivers or, or the, the racing or, or the, the car or the competition. Yeah. Those would be harder things to fix. But, you know, now we're just saying we're really bullish on the product. Let's just figure out how we can expose more people to it, which I'll take that challenge any day. So whether that happens in the in the virtual world, social world, digital world, or or, or whatever you know, the, the drinking word is going to be next year instead of NFTs, um, you know, we'll 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 hopefully be there. Actually, circling back on the fact that I thought that you had a very uh, startup oriented speech coming in, it feels like you were literally literally pitching a VC right now about increasing your TAM. And saying we have right. the right fit, we just need to go for new verticals. That's uh, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, terrific, Jamie. I don't know if you have anything to add. No, no, that is right on point. Actually, as a conclusion. Cool, Tim. It was it was very much fun discussing NASCAR. It's the first time I discussed NASCAR for 15 minutes in my life. I have to tell you, <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a step in the right direction for us. Exactly. Same exactly. here. Same here. I think the expansion would be quite a challenge in terms of also, I was thinking when you were talking, it's in terms of like, how do you take that show and that product, which is very much American, but that can please a certain population, even in Europe or in other territories. So I was just trying to figure that out in terms of like, a whole new cultural experience as well that people are actually looking for as well. So good luck on that. Well, the, the, the next the next challenge for me is I, I want to get both of you to come to a NASCAR race. So we'll just have to figure out when and where that is. There we go. We'll take up on that invitation. Count on us. Perfect. <laughs> Terrific. Thanks a lot, Tim. Thanks a lot for your time. Thank you, everyone, for listening to us uh, on this new episode. Hope you liked it as much as we did. And as always, like it, share it, talk about it with your friends. Uh, you're our best uh, best supporters. Have a great one. Thanks, team. Thanks, guys. Le Corner.